SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hour number two on the morning after on Sports Grid. You're listening on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. This hour, we've got market movers. We're going to talk NFL. we got Big Ten talk. I know Big Ten Ben all excited to pull out his alter ego. And later on this hour, Jim Sonis from Number Fire is going to help us break down today's really weird, annoying MLB card. To be honest, looking through Major League Baseball today, I was exhausted. I looked through it this morning before the show. It really just, I, I needed to take a nap after. Anyway, exciting news in the gambling world as it continues to explode. And the state of Massachusetts, it's hoping to get its own share of gambling. All the states surrounding, whether it's Rhode Island, New York, Connecticut, they all have some sort of gambling in their state. And Massachusetts still not there with sports betting. Massachusetts, so far, this tweet showing that it looks good on Beacon Hill. Lawmakers are patting each other on the back for their work on the Massachusetts sports betting bill. No House floor vote yet, but spirits seem high. So it does end up going to the House and getting the overwhelming majority uh, yesterday. But now it has to go to the Senate. So that's the next step. Nothing has been official yet. There hasn't been a vote in the Senate. The Senate still has to have the majority vote. They're hoping the overwhelming majority vote that happened in the House is going to help the Senate. Then it would still be huge if the state of Massachusetts was going to be the next state to legalize mobile sports wagering. One more domino to fall in what seems like the ever-growing trend across all of the United States of America. Another state legalizing sports betting, making it less taboo like it has been for years past, which is really not the case anymore, and opening it up to the public to allow people to get in on all this fun in a responsible manner. And I think you can follow our boy Sammy P for any live updates you need here about the sports betting legislation happening in the state of Massachusetts. He has been keeping that thing on lock. He is doing a great job in his coverage for Ness, and he is doing just a great job in his coverage overall. So make sure, if you haven't yet, because of his incredible appearances on this show across the Sports Grid Network on the morning after, make sure you are following Sam Payne. Yanovich, did I say it right, Ariel, Sammy P, to make sure that you are getting the latest you of did. all the you updates got it. when it comes. I got it. Let's go. Proud of myself there with all the sports betting legislation happening right now and all of the updates in the state of Massachusetts. Catch him at SP shoot. But also the problem with Massachusetts, there's been a lot of arguments surrounding college sports. Certain states don't allow you to bet on the teams within the state. For example, in New Jersey, you can't bet on a college team based in New Jersey. You can't bet Rutgers. Uh, so that's been a big issue, especially when it comes to any kind of college football, basketball games that you would be willing to bet on Rutgers for. Then when it comes to Massachusetts, there was a lot of talk about no college gambling. That is... In a state of Massachusetts, I know their pro sports are really important, too, with the Bruins, the Celtics, the Red Sox, etc. But to not have college sports within your sports betting, there's still a lot of hurdles to climb when talking about the legitimacy and how you, like you mentioned, the black market stuff. 
how much, you know, like what's, I never understand these things. What's the difference? College sports, uh, professional sports. So what you're saying, because kids are in college, they're immature. <laughs> I mean, in a way I get it right. And I, but when you look at it from a Massachusetts perspective, are people really going to be upset? They can't bet on BC. Are people going to be really upset? They can't bet an Ivy league basketball game between Harvard and Princeton. Like, no, I think we'll be okay because, as we know, Boston is very into the professional sports as we welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here to the morning after hour two, just getting underway here on your Friday, Sirius XM Channel 204, the Mightier 1090 on the West Coast. It's Ben Stevens and Ariel Epstein discussing the latest updates when it comes to legalizing sports betting in the state of Massachusetts, discussing what it means for the college ranks. Listen, as a huge college guy, you can see all the Big Ten flags right behind me here. I love betting on college. I love all of it. It's sucks that in the state of New Jersey, I can't bet on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights because as we know, Ariel, your family, your religion, and Rutgers basketball are some of my favorite things in all of this world. But you make your peace with how things are happening. And when you have so many plentiful options, especially on the FanDuel Sportsbook, you have more ways to win and you have so many options for you. I don't think it really matters. And especially in the greater Boston area, I think they'll be all right. The focus is on the Pats. It's on the Bruins. It's on the Red Sox. It's on the Celtics. It's on everything they have there. So just imagine being at Fenway Park walking in for a Red Sox game, you park the car in the yard, you walk over to Fenway Park, and you say, oh, my boy's wicked smart, let's lay down this wager. That's a lot of Boston wagering, so much so I almost just moved my computer, I got so excited. Anyway, you can have all these great opportunities coming that way in the state of Massachusetts. Very exciting updates to be following here, and as the dominoes continue to fall all across, all across this great country, more and more states will be hopping on this bandwagon for sure. Unfortunately for you Boston betters, most likely this is not going to happen by the time Tom Brady returns to Gillette Stadium. It's going to be afterwards. New York approved it for mobile sports wagering. Even though New York has brick and mortar, where in New York you're allowed to go to a casino and play sports bets, you can't bet it on your phone yet. New York legalized that, yet it's going to take time for this because New York is going by an auction system. The, the New York State's going to be lucky if they have mobile wagering by the Super Bowl. With that said, I'm putting it in, into context, you're not going to have mobile wagering or sports betting in Massachusetts this football season. Maybe next football season, you still have to get this approved by the Senate, though. Nothing happens yet. Nothing's legalized and nothing has changed. All that's happened is that this bill has gone through the House, and now it's time to see if they get approved by the Senate. There was also some talk that if college sports is not allowed to be bet on, it may be a deal breaker because it could drop revenue by a lot of money, which would then result in it not being as, I guess, enticing because of the money lost on not being able to bet on college sports. Coming up next, we are going to talk about college sports because you can still bet on it in many other states. And we're going to talk about the Big Ten with Big Ten Ben. You're listening here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back 
here on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Here's the thing. Ben Stevens is known as Ben Stevens, his name on the show. Back at Syracuse, he was also known as Ben Stevens. Then he moves out to Omaha, Nebraska. He starts working in local news and all of a sudden gets this alter ego, Big Ten Ben. Now he's obsessed with the Big Ten. Big Ten Media Days were this week. He's been itching to talk about it. Ben, when you watched Media Days this week, I know you sat in front of the Big Ten Network and continued to watch it, all its coverage after this show. What stood out to you? Oh, so many things. Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, who has taken a lot of flack over the past year going up there and really saying a whole bunch of nothing. Of course, you had Jim Harbaugh's quote, which we'll hear here momentarily, Ariel, about how he is going to try to beat Ohio State or die trying. You had some great quotes from Pat Fitzgerald embracing NIL. You had some great things from Scott Frost. Can the Huskers get back to their glory land? That's where I learned my affinity for the Big Ten Conference covering Nebraska football for my two years living and working in Omaha, Nebraska. So many great things things. Just great to be back watching the Big Ten Network, talking Big Ten football. It is going to be an incredible conference once again this year. Ohio State, the heavy odds on favorite, and rightfully so right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook at minus 220, but there is value to be had, and there are a couple of team win totals that I love that I think present some good value there on the FanDuel Sportsbook as well. So, Ariel, whenever you are ready to dive in, you let me know. If we want to start with Harbaugh, let's hear from Jim, and then we can go through the value if that makes sense to you. Sure. Let's start with Jim Harbaugh, the head coach at Michigan, who's still the head coach at Michigan, despite all odds of the public odds, if they were to set them. Harbaugh spoke about his rivalry in the Big Ten, and here's what he had to say. Well, I'm here before you. I mean, I'm as uh, enthusiastic and excited as I ever am, always am, uh, you know, even more, uh, you know, to have at it, to, uh, you know, to win the championship, to, uh, you know, to, to win the beat Ohio. Your your uh, your hometown there, uh, you know our rivals Michigan State, uh, you know everybody. That's that's what we want to do, and uh, and we're going to do it or die trying. I love the attitude. I love the Harbaugh brothers, obviously, because I have a Ravens helmet behind me. I, J- John's better. I'll just say it flat out. John's better than Jim. Jim Harbaugh's not even in the mix for a top five odds on the odds board to win the Big Ten. Ohio State minus 220, Wisconsin 6-1, to one, Penn State, <laughs> horrible last year, 9-1, to one, Iowa 9-1, to one, and then Indiana 20-1. to one. So there's a huge drop-off after Iowa, who's 9-1, to one, then Indiana at 20-1. to one. Ben, why is there such a big drop-off after those first four teams? Because when you look at Ohio State, they should be the odds-on favorite for a reason. Then you look at Penn State, who might be able to rival them within the Big Ten East. But then when you look at the rest of the conference and you look at the Big Ten West, that's really where you are able to find the value right now. And that's where the value comes within the Big Ten Conference because you have to find the team that will face off against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game inside Lucas Oil Stadium in early December in Indianapolis, Indiana, because it's really not going to come from the Big Ten East at the moment. Until Ohio State is knocked off, you can't pick the Buckeyes to be knocked off, and they return so much talent this year. When you look at the wide receivers, 
receiver room for the Buckeyes. It might be the best wide receiving core in all of the country. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Ijigba, Emeka Egbuka. They have so much talent along that wide receiver room. And yes, you're throwing in a new starting quarterback in C.J. Stroud, but the Buckeyes will be there once again. They will be the representative, in my mind, from the Big Ten East division. They're minus 220 to win the conference, minus 450 to win the Big Ten East. So you must look to the Big Ten West. And the two teams you see there with the best odds, the shortest odds, Wisconsin at plus 600 and Iowa at plus 900 make a ton of sense to me. I think both of these teams will be battling for that top spot in the Big Ten West division. I give the benefit of the doubt at this current moment to the Wisconsin Badgers. So that's where I would place my value in the futures market as you look at the conference overall. Wisconsin at plus 600, and you will have great value on the Badgers if they do make it to Indianapolis for that Big Ten title game against Ohio State because they will be the underdog, but not plus 600. So you have a ticket ready to hedge in middle and pay you out with some tremendous value on Wisconsin. I look at Wisconsin this year, they are going to be good. I look at Iowa this year, they will also be good. Don't mind the value there at 9-1. to one. There is a game, Ariel, in Madison, Wisconsin, at Camp Randall Stadium, Halloween weekend between these two, the Badgers and the Hawkeyes, that in my mind will decide the Big Ten West, and that's where your value is once again. Wisconsin at plus 600, which is my pick, but I cannot get mad at you if you want Iowa at plus 900 as well. Here's what's interesting, because there were some teams in the Big Ten last year that are supposed to be the top of the conference, the best every year, the best programs not only in the Big Ten, in the country. They were terrible. Penn State and Michigan. Michigan went 2-4 and four in the conference last year. Penn State goes 4-5. and five. However, Penn State, look, I mean, it was disgusting, whatever they did. It was the end of the year that they started to make a run, but ultimately it was the worst start in franchise history, I'm pretty sure. When you have two teams such as that one, yet Penn State booked at nine to one, the third best odds on the board with Iowa. Then Michigan at twenty-five to one, who I recall we did a market movers segment. Ben, Michigan did not open with the odds at twenty-five to one. Michigan opened with odds closer to Penn State. Then Michigan dropped off to twenty-five to one as the months went on and we got closer to the season. How do you see either of these teams getting better after such disappointing years last year? I think both will be better. When you look at Michigan and you heard what Jim Harbaugh had to say about beating Ohio State and Michigan State and their rivals in the Big Ten East or die trying, this is really not the year for Michigan. Next year, Ariel, 2022 is the year for Jim Harbaugh. With the talent they have, with J.J. McCarthy, one of the highest-rated recruited quarterbacks coming into Ann Arbor this year, next year will be the year for them. If Jim Harbaugh goes 8-4 and four next year and doesn't compete against Ohio State, he will be fired. That's why they restructured his contract, a lower buyout, a lower yearly salary. What if he has a but bad year really this year? year. They'll be okay. So here's the thing. Michigan is, has a team win total right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook at 7.5. The over has the juice. I think based on their schedule, which is not overly difficult, they are likely to go 8-4 and four and go over that number of 7.5, but not by much. If they had the plus money and hit the under of 7.5, I would not be shocked. But either way, if it's 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, I think Jim Harbaugh will be there for at least one more year. If it does not go well in 2022, bye bye to Jim Harbaugh in his tenure in Ann Arbor. I just when can't you talk imagine about Penn- Jim Harbaugh. I just can't imagine Jim Harbaugh you. having another season below 500 this year and Michigan fans and alumni not asking for his head on a platter. Well, below 500, maybe, but these expectations heading into this year for Michigan are probably the smallest you will see out of a fan base that expects excellence at all times. A lot of the hesitation and a lot of what, what I would call cautious optimism at the moment is really 
for next year. That's what I'll say about Michigan State. Penn State, though, their team win total is at nine. The under has the juice. Penn State will be back up there in the Big Ten East, but they're not necessarily still at the level of Ohio State this year. Yes, they started out 0-5 last year in the weird year that was 2020 before they rattled off four straight wins to end out last season. I think they will be better. Sean Clifford is the name to know. He's their quarterback. If he struggles, Penn State will struggle. If he takes that next step, Penn State could easily be a 9- or 10-win team this year going over their team win total. My two favorite team win totals, by the way, on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now. Wisconsin going over 9.5. It has the juice at minus 120 right now. But look to Wisconsin's first four weeks of the year. They open up with Penn State. Then they have Eastern Michigan. Then they have a bye. Then they have a game against Notre Dame at Soldier Field in Chicago. And then they play Michigan. Those first four weeks will dictate what Wisconsin year Wisconsin's year looks like. If they start out 3-1 and one, or, dare I say, 4-0, the rest of their conference schedule sets up very favorably to go over this team win total at 9.5, maybe even winning 11 games for the Wisconsin Badgers. I like the over there. And, of course, I got my start on Sports Grid Ariel, as you know, ranting about Indiana football last year. So I'm going to take Indiana to go over their team win total of 7.5. Michael Penix Jr. might be one of the best quarterbacks, not just in the Big Ten, but all of the country if he comes back healthy. The defense took the ball away with the best of them last year. Take the over on Indiana. It's hashtag 11 Windiana this year. They'll go over their team total of seven and a half. Here's what's nice. We know we're going into a normal regular season, at least for most teams. Who knows what's going to happen between the Big 12 and the SEC when it comes to Texas and Oklahoma, who apparently, yeah, apparently there was drama and they weren't on some kind of Big 12 call. Anyway, Market Movers, NFL, coming up next. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back here on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. We're going to take a look at how the futures market's moving. It's time for Market Movers. talk about the AFC South. This is one of the hardest divisions to cap. It's one of the most annoying divisions to have to figure out, especially when it comes to talking about the top. Starting with the top, we're going to get to the Tennessee Titans, who went from minus 115 back on February 10th to now flipping to plus 115. As for the Indianapolis Colts, they go from plus 130 to the odds moving in their favor to plus 110. So the Colts are now the favorites to win the AFC South on the FanDuel Sportsbook, despite the Titans starting the offseason as the favorites. Now for the Texans, who go from 10-1 to 1 on February 10th to 27-1. to 1. Granted, it's getting closer and closer to the season, and their quarterback, Deshaun Watson, still not allowed to play. So it looks as if uh, the Jaguars are going to be the third team in the AFC South based on the odds the Jaguars moved from 16 to 1 to 7 to 1 there's been a lot of changes in this division 
The Titans got a new wide receiver in Julio Jones. The Colts got a new quarterback in Carson Wentz. The Texans lose their quarterback in Deshaun Watson. And the Jaguars get a new quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. Ben, which team in this division intrigues you the most? Really, it's a battle between the top two teams in this conference right now. And when you look at the odds, it makes sense to see where both teams are with the Colts a slight favorite over the Tennessee Titans at the moment. The Colts, what, plus 110, the Titans plus 115. Five cents of difference between these two teams at the top of the AFC South at the moment. And it's really going to be a battle between those two. We can really disregard the Jaguars and the Texans when it comes to this outright divisional race if you want to have any play in it. But there's not a ton of value in this division, in my opinion, because it is such a toss-up. When you look at the Tennessee Titans from last year, the fourth-best scoring offense in all of the NFL, the second-best rushing offense in all of the NFL, but the defense lagged behind. Ninth-worst scoring defense in all of the NFL. The Colts had the 11th-best scoring offense, or the eighth-best scoring offense, rather, in the NFL last year, the 11th-best scoring defense and the defense is really good for Indianapolis I love what Darius Leonard presents there in the middle of their linebacking core and of course adding Carson Wentz pairing him back with Frank Reich we had Ryan Williams on the show yesterday saying he liked Carson Wentz's odds to be the NFL comeback player of the year I think there is a great value there and a great narrative to back it it's going to be a race between these two teams and when you look at their team win totals you can see how closely both of these teams stack up the Colts team win total in the FanDuel Sportsbook right now is nine and a half the over has the juice and heavy juice at minus 150 the tennessee titans team win total is nine so a hook less but still nine the juice the exact same the over minus 150 pretty much showing you that FanDuel expects both of these teams to win at least 10 games so then you still have a toss-up you could take it one step further ariel and look at these two teams odds the colts and the titans to win the afc championship the colts slightly shorter at plus 1300 the titans plus 1400 really what I'm saying here is this is going to be a toss-up, and I don't think there's a ton of value in betting the futures market when it comes to the AFC South specifically. There's really not a ton of value to bet the team win total here for either the Titans or the Colts because the juice at minus 150 is a little bit steeper than I would like it to be when you're talking about a futures market for a season that hasn't even been played yet. The thing for me in this division is, one, it's going to come down to the health of Carson Wentz. Can Wentz stay on the field all season or at least most of it for the Colts? The Colts are the most well-rounded team, minus the quarterback position. I just always think back to what would happen if this team had Andrew Luck. Anyway, the running back room, it's full. You've got Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, and Naheem Hines. The wide receiver room, veteran T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, Jack Doyle. The Colts' offense was ranked inside the top 10 for points per game, for total yards. This defense was great. It was a top 10 defense based on total yards allowed and points per game allowed. They're well-rounded. The Titans, on the other hand, made a flashy move. They got Julio Jones at wide receiver. Offense wasn't their problem last year. Offensively, the Titans had the third most yards per game. They had the fourth most points per game. It was the defense that was the worst. This Titans defense was bottom 10 in every statistical category. The Titans have to improve on defense in order for them to win this division. The reason the Colts last year were able to stay so close in the mix was solely off of defense, keeping games low scoring, making sure their offense didn't have to score as much because their defense was just that good, Ben. 
Yeah, and that's why I really like the Colts this year because they have that established foundation. I think the Titans can be quite sparky, and that offense is going to look really, really good. And I think under a head coach in Mike Vrabel, the defense should improve a little bit. There is some questions about the Titans offense outside of adding Julio Jones and having Derrick Henry and an improved Ryan Tannehill because the guy that really orchestrated all the past couple of seasons that made them run so well, Arthur Smith, is now the head coach in Atlanta for the Falcons. So a little bit of uncertainty more surrounding the Titans as opposed to the Indianapolis Colts. When you look at the Colts, that defense will carry the day. And if Carson Wentz is better than he has been the past couple of years, maybe not back to the MVP type level, but still pretty good, this Colts team could be a 10-11 win ball club. I just don't think there's a ton of value right now when you look at the AFC South or even the team win totals. When you talk about the bottom two teams in this division, Ariel, it is a pretty different picture when you talk about a level of success. Let's start with the team at the bottom the houston texans have the lowest team win total of any of the 32 nfl organizations posted right now in the fanduel sports no love for gerard taylor total none no zero love or david cully or anybody involved with that texans franchise right now team win total four at least the over has the juice at minus 125 but four is the team win total for a 17-game NFL season in 2021. You know what I love? Sorry to cut you off, but I love that this is the second straight day where you have spoken about a win total for a team. Yesterday, the Jets. Today, the Jaguars. And the only optimism that you have for any of this fan base is, well, at least the juice is on the over for the win total. (laughs) I love it. You got to give them. You got to give them something, right? I mean, at least if you're going to post a team win total at four, having the juice on the over makes you feel a little bit better. It's the same case for the Jets. I mean, to see six, which I still think is too high, the juice is on the over. It gives you a little bit of solace knowing that although the FanDuel Sportsbook thinks your team's not going to be very good, at least they give you the over having the juice, an indication they are to go over that team win total that's posted. But the Texans themselves, like you mentioned, Ariel, plus 2,700. To win the AFC South, the longest odds of any team in any division right now on FanDuel. And then you look at the Jaguars, and we talked about the movement of how much shorter their odds became. Now plus 700 to win the AFC South. Here is my pause for you. Do not be fooled by the movement on the Jacksonville Jaguars. It has more to do with the negative regression and the negative movement on the Houston Texans and needing to slot a team in there with somewhat of seemingly short odds to be the third finisher in the AFC South than it has anything to do with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I love Trevor Lawrence. I think he will be a very successful quarterback in the NFL. And I have made this point abundantly clear on SportsGrid and especially here on the morning after. The team win total of six and a half for the Jacksonville Jaguars is something that I don't think you could bet the under enough. Take the under of it each and every time that you are able to, whether you have to go to different states to do it, take the under of the six and a half. I do not think, Ariel, Urban Meyer will have any level of success in the NFL. And I know Trevor Lawrence is there, and I know there are some pieces in place on offense, but you're talking about an offense last year that finished second to last in the league in scoring offense, third to last in the league in scoring defense. Trevor Lawrence changes a lot of that. But I don't know what Urban Meyer is doing at the NFL level. If he proves me wrong, kudos to you, Urban. But I don't think he is going to have success at the NFL level. So take the under the six and a half and run with that cash ticket because I think it's way too high of a number, although it is six and a half. But I would take the under each and every day. Eight days a week was how long I would take that number of the under of the team win total of six and a half for the Jacks.
Oh, I'm with you. I've said that's my best bet so far of the NFL futures market is taking the under on the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne are joining an offense that was fifth least yards per game, uh, third least points per game. Fine. Maybe it's a little improved, but that's a lot of ground to make up. Then you look to the defense. Defensively, this was a team that allowed the second most points per game and the second most total yards per game. It's not just the offense again. That's the problem. You could put up a ton of points, Jacksonville. You're still losing games if your defense has given up a ton of points, especially because there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be a new coach. It's a new team. It's a new quarterback, new system. There's going to be time for these teams to have to figure it out. The Cincinnati Bengals last year had the number one overall pick in Joe Burrow. Still went under their win total. It's just too many wins, and they're hoping, which probably is the case, these sports books are hoping that the public's going to look at it and say, Oh, my gosh, number one pick? This team's so much better than last year. No, it's probably not going to happen. We do have some breaking news this morning, and it looks like the Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas is going to miss the start of the 2021 season. He's expected to have surgery to repair ligaments in his ankle. This is just being reported now by NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. Not sure how long he'll be out. However, the injury or the surgery is usually scheduled for about four months of time to rehab, which means Thomas could miss the first two months of the NFL season. We'll see how Michael Thomas continues um, to improve on that torn ligament. So this is the injury that was dating back to last year. Quarterback situation, another question mark in New Orleans. Is it Jameis Winston? Is it Taysom Hill? Ben, now you lose your number one wide receiver to start the year. Just seems like for the, the Saints, I don't even know why their odds are as short as they are on FanDuel. Yeah, I have no idea why the Saints have the sixth shortest odds to win the NFC Championship at 12 to 1 at plus 1,200. So many moving parts this offseason for the New Orleans Saints to be breaking in a new quarterback who will be Jameis Winston most likely, but still. I mean, Jameis certainly has his limitations even under the tutelage of Sean Payton in a big blow to lose Michael Thomas, at least for a little bit of time. So everything to keep in mind as you approach your fantasy draft, as you approach any bets you might make on the New Orleans Saints, not sure why they're 12-1 to to win the NFC. I wouldn't touch that right now. I wouldn't touch anything on the New Orleans Saints. I don't touch futures bets if I don't know who your quarterback's going to be. Stay right here on the grid. A man that predicts the future very well, Jim Sanis from Number Fire. We'll talk Major League Baseball coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. On the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. I say it every week. Number fire, Jim Sonis, Friday. It's always one of the best times of the day. So, Jim, thanks for joining us again on this Friday morning. Thank you for having me. It's the same for me, where I get to get psyched for the weekend once I talk to you two. It's so close, just like the NFL season. We are getting just weeks away 
from the NFL season kicking off. Training camp is just upon us. Rookies reporting some veterans have come to camp already. Yeah, we're getting this news from the Saints that Michael Thomas, their stud wide receiver, is going to miss the beginning of the season because he's going in for surgery. Jim, how does this affect you, whether it's in fantasy, whether it's in the futures market, when betting on the Saints? Yeah, I think that they were kind of a stay-away team for me to begin with. I heard you guys talking about this in, in your last segment. I couldn't agree more because it's so hard to know what to expect from this team. Like, my win total projections are operating based on expected passing efficiency, and I've got a number in there. I have to have something in there for them, but I don't know what it'll be. Like, I think that they and the, the Colts are the two hardest teams for me to pinpoint for this year in terms of what I should expect for them from a, a passing efficiency perspective. And this does not help. I bumped them down from a passing efficiency perspective a little bit. Their win total for me right now is nine, which is equivalent to their win total at Fatal Sportsbook. Now, there is some juice on the over at nine, which could mean, you know, maybe we're looking at it over here. I'm not personally, um, but I think that it, it's just a stay away. They were a stay away for me to begin with. It is now confirmed they are a stay away. If the number goes down... I don't think I'll be interested in, in them either at that point, just because even if it'd have to go down quite a bit for me to see value here. So there's still a stay away from me, and it's just a wide range of outcomes to this team, and really tough for me to pin down how they're going to play this year. Jim, we're getting to that point as we're about to head into training camp where we will see injury news pop up across the NFL. We had that earlier this week with Cam Akers, the stud young running back for the Los Angeles Rams, rupturing his Achilles. He will most likely miss all of the 2021 season. There wasn't a ton of movement when you look at the future odds for the Rams to either win the Super Bowl, the NFC, the NFC West. But how do you think this affects their team win total in the FanDuel Sportsbook? Yeah, it was really high. It's 10 and a half, and that's tough, given that they have a pretty decently tough schedule. I've got them at 9.8 wins, which means that I was tempted to go with the under. I didn't pull the trigger just because, like, I think Matthew Stafford's pretty good. So that was that was keeping me away from betting an under, but now the number on the under has gotten worse. Uh, their implied odds to go over were pretty high before. They're now down to 48% to go over 10.5. So there is some juice you know, towards the under here, and I think that... It, it, because I'm getting a worse number and I don't think things have changed that much, it confirms to me that I don't want to bet this under. Now, if they were to rebound and the number were to bounce back up, I could get there for sure. Because I did lower their projected rushing efficiency. Cam Akers, I thought, was pretty good last year. His numbers weren't great because a lot of the time that he got volume was when Andrew Whitworth is out. Andrew Whitworth is amazing. So you don't expect a guy to be very efficient when he is out. So I don't care about what their numbers were or Akers' number specifically was. They're losing a good back, and that does downgrade the rushing efficiency. But because rushing efficiency is a smaller portion of my model, it didn't move things for them that much. So I stayed pretty even. The sportsbooks moved against the Rams a tiny bit, which could incentivize me to go over. But again, because my number is pretty well under 9.8 versus 10.5, it's really hard for me to get there. I think that if I were looking for one thing, maybe this could help you you know, sell yourself on Seattle. I think that their divisional odds are pretty long. It doesn't really do much for me, but and I think that it does give us a worse number on Seattle potentially. So that's kind of the big takeaway for me is I want to keep a close eye on Seattle, see what their win totals look like, uh, see what their futures market looks like from a divisional perspective because they're the team I'm most interested in the NFC West. And I think the Rams, again, similar to the Saints, cementing themselves as a stay away from me from either the over or the under. 
Jim Sonnets from Numberfire joining us talking the NFL. Now, Jim, the reason that you're great is because you can take the fantasy market and bring it into the props market in the NFL. Yet I want to dive into fantasy a little bit because there are people out there waiting to do their fantasy football drafts. When is the best time to draft your team? Uh, whenever. I think that for me personally, I want to draft it as early as possible to get a more inefficient market. It does mean you're drafting against better people. It does mean you have situations like the Cam Maker situation where you'll draft a guy and unfortunately, you know, he's done for the year, which stinks more for him than it does for you. But I think that for me, you're going to get better value the earlier on you draft because if you can be ahead of things, be ahead of assumed situations, be ahead of guys moving into better situations and stuff like that, then you can get pretty good value. So for me, February is pretty sweet for drafting. Um, I think that even right now is still pretty good. Once we get to August, the market's going to get pretty efficient. And you can still draft in August. It's totally fine. Uh, But for me, as someone who has to stay on top of news for my job to, you know, fill out my win total projections and stuff like that. I want to draft as early as possible before the market gets efficient. It's the same thing as with betting, where you want to bet when the lines come out because that's when they're less efficient. They've not been hammered, and there's not going to be as much, you know, uh, as much efficiency in the market. So I want to get in as early as possible to get ahead of things. It will bite you. That's fine. I think that the the gains you get from drafting early outweigh the downsides of having guys like Michael Thomas or Cam Akers get banged up before the season begins. Jim, here's how I make my fantasy draft against my friends from college more efficient. I just feed them a couple more Bud Lights as we get going throughout the rounds, and then my draft (laughs) becomes that much more efficient against my college buddies. But, Jim, we have the NFL on the horizon. Major League Baseball obviously currently going on in the second half after the All-Star break. I know you have a couple of plays today focusing first on a K-prop for the Philly Zach Wheeler, a number that intrigued me as well. What did you like about the Philly starter today? Yeah, I thought this number would be higher. I didn't initially want to put it on my list. I was like, oh, they're going to hang an 8.5 or something like that for me, and it'd be tough to get there. But opened it up, saw 7.5 with, I think, minus 108 in the over, and I was like, okay, sign me up. He's been awesome. The most relevant example for me on Wheeler is since he started to throw more sinkers and fewer four-seamers. And I hate sinkers. I think they're a terrible pitch in general. But for Zach Wheeler, it works. It's worked really well in that sample. The past eight starts, 29% strikeout rate, really good bat at ball data. He's allowed a 22% hard hit rate. The league average is 39%. Uh, the fly ball rate, 22%. League average there is 35%. So what that means is he will go deep in games because he's a really freaking good pitcher. He's gone 100 pitches in three of his past four outings, 114 in one of those as well. So he's going to go deep in games. He's going to get strikeouts. He's facing a Braves team with no Ronald Acuna Jr. They 25% strikeout rate versus righty. So seven and a half, give me that all day with how good he has been this year and how good I'd expect him to be going forward as well. I'm with you there, Jim. I was looking at Wheeler. Also, I thought that the book was going to make it one strikeout too many, and I'm with you. Seven and a half is a good number if you want to jump in. Now, another thing that has been hot, another team that's been the hottest team in baseball It's the Detroit Tigers. They haven't lost yet since the All-Star break came back. The Tigers over four and a half runs, minus 122 to that over is also something you're eyeing. Why? 
Yeah, it's a combination of a couple of things. You mentioned how good they've been. That definitely does factor in, and I think that that helps for sure. But they're facing a lefty here in Chris Bubich, and the Tigers have been good versus righties, but they've been much better versus lefties, which is weird given how terrible they were to start the year. But overall this year, their active roster has a 108 WRC plus versus lefties. That's an above average mark. Good amount of power, too. And based on the expected lineup for today, hopefully Eric Cost plays. And if he does, I'd expect the lineup that they have to have a lot of power and be able to do damage in a hurry. Bubich has been in and out of the rotation so far this year, but over his past seven outings with less movement on his four-seam fastball, he has a 5.31 skill interactive ERA, hefty number of walks, low strikeout rate at 18%, and he's letting up impactful contact. So with that high walk rate combined with the Tigers' power and the fact that Bubich will let up some impactful contact, this is a situation where I think you can get runs in chunks, and that's always helpful for me on a run total that is kind of high. It's not super high at four and a half, but you know, it's up there. You got to, you got to get some runs in there for sure. I think it's helpful when we can get two or three runs at a time via a long ball or something like that. So to me, that's reassuring here. Tigers over four and a half makes a lot of sense given the way this lineup is playing, but also given how good their matchup is specifically versus a lefty who doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. Finding profitability on the Detroit Tigers. Who would have ever known a world where that was possible? <laughs> but yet, here we are, Jim. Now, Jim, I have to start this question by saying you have very big shoes you are walking into. One of your coworkers Uh-oh. at FanDuel, Tom Becchio, is possibly the best home run prop capper I have ever met. And you have a home run prop on your Major League Baseball card today. Can you detail for us what that is? Yeah, stupid Tom was filling in for me on the solo shot, and he did do well. So now people are like, it's anarchy. So I'm getting trying to get overthrown, and there's a mutiny on hands because of Tom. So Tom, chill out, man. Like, let's let's scale it back a bit. Tell Jim me was out there here. first. Oh, that, my gosh. Exposed. I know. I know. Tom's just uh, making me look bad. So let's try to make Tom look bad. No, I'm kidding. I can't make Tom look bad. He's too good for that. But I like Yuli Gurriel for the Astros. Plus 470, plus 460 now to hit a home run. Uh, against Colby Allard. Allard, another guy who lets up a lot of fly balls. 44% fly ball rate. Low strike area for him. And Gurriel is someone who I will never touch in a home run prop versus a righty because he doesn't put the ball in the air enough. But versus lefties... His fly ball rate this year is like 46%, hits for a lot more power, hits at a good spot in that order. So it's not the best park for home runs. Definitely better for a lefty with that short porch and left. I think it all adds up really well for Guriel to be a solid selection for today. I was tempted by some of the Tigers guys, but like their numbers were just way too short. I think that I'm trying to find an advantageous number on a guy who's got a good matchup and who can pump lefties, I think that guy is Yulieski Guriel. So to me, plus 460, a very fair number, and I'm in. So I don't know, man. Tom's Tom's making it tough on me, but I hope that Yuli can make me look good here. Home run props I still can't wrap my head around. It's just one of the – I always say anytime touchdown props in the NFL were something I would never bet. Home run props were certainly something I said I'd never bet. Then there's you and Tom Vecchio, who come on the show and give out home run props, and I end up betting them. I can't cap these things. I can't do strikeout props, <laughs> capping MLB side on top of home run props. All you guys, I will continue to tell. Now, one thing that you do really well also is NASCAR. NASCAR's on a break currently. They'll come back in a few weeks when August starts. Yeah, Jim, you could still jump in on the NASCAR Cup Series, and you could see who's going to be your Cup champion. Who out there on the futures market would you say is somebody better to put their money on? 
It is Martin Truex Jr. without a doubt. He's 10 to 1 at FanDuel Sportsbook to win the championship, and it sets up well. The reason I like Truex here is because he's done really well on the playoff tracks. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing very clearly has said, we don't care about your summer months. Hendrick, go do what you want during the summer. We're going to dominate when it counts because Truex has three wins this year. All three wins have come at, at 750 tracks that have playoff representation, including Phoenix, which is where the championship race will be. Truex has those three wins, gives him some good uh, stage points, some good playoff points there to increase his odds of making it to the, the round of four. Right now, he has longer odds than... Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin. Hamlin has not won yet so far this year. He gets an advantage because he's currently first in points, but that may not be the case by the time we get there. I like Truex a lot more on the short flat tracks than Kyle Larson, so I think 10-1 to 1 is an awesome number. I, I was in the camp initially of holding off on betting Truex until we got to Daytona, but with Watkins Glen and Indianapolis coming up, I could see his number of shortening. So I have talked myself into finally pulling the trigger on Truex before Watkins Glen, 10-1, to 1, kind of just too good for me to pass up right now. I absolutely love it. Martin Truex Jr., he was the champ a few years ago. Actually, that year, one of the most dominant NASCAR drivers I have ever watched out there on the track. Mm. I could see him doing well in Phoenix and making the playoffs. I mean, come on, it's Martin Truex Jr. Jim Sonnes, <laughs> you're awesome. Thank you for joining us, and have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you. Appreciate it, and a pleasure to talk to you, too, as always. Time to root on some Yuli Gurriel bombs tonight. But coming up next, we're going to be closing out hour number two here on the morning after. So stay right here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out hour number two here on the morning after on Sports Grid. You're listening on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. It's time now for our segment, Buy or Sell. With the news breaking this morning on the Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas missing the first couple of months of the season due to surgery on his torn ligaments in his ankle, the question here is, are you buying or selling that the New Orleans Saints are going to make the playoffs, Ben? It's a very tough one. I don't want to buy it, but when I'm thinking about an expanded NFL playoff picture in the NFC, really the Saints might have a shot to be that final wild card because when you look at the NFC right now and you look across the divisions, I think three playoff teams will come out of the NFC West. You could maybe even make a case all four will, but three playoff teams out of the NFC West when you look at the San Francisco 49ers, the Los Angeles Rams, the Seattle Seahawks, maybe even the Arizona Cardinals, and the NFC South really has the two other best teams when you look at the Bucks and the Saints. When you look at the NFC North, maybe the Packers will probably win that division if Aaron Rodgers is there. Then you have the Vikings and the NFC East. Who knows what's going to happen with that division at this point. So when you look at FanDuel right now and you see the Saints make or miss playoff odds, the yes is plus 110. The no is minus 134. I agree with that, but the odds are kind of short. The numbers there are kind of short. So I'm going to sell it. Nope, I'm going to sell it. I still don't think the Saints make the playoffs. There it was. It took me a while oh! to wrap all those thoughts in my head. I'm going to sell it. The Saints will not make the playoffs. 
I love when you talk through it. Then at the end, you say, nah, forget it all. They're out. It's not going to yeah. happen. You just you try to convince yourself. The Saints were the be- one of the best teams and most consistent teams in the NFC because their quarterback, future Hall of Famer Drew Brees, was there at the helm. Now with an uncertain quarterback situation, Jameis Winston potentially throwing 100 picks in a season. Then you have Taysom Hill, who hasn't started for more than, what, two games in a year. I'm concerned for the Saints, even though they have a great head coach in Sean Payton. They now lost their number one wide receiver. All they have, what? We're going to give Alvin Kamara 80 million touches. You got to, I mean, and he likes to catch the ball too. James Winston could get picked off on dumping it off to Kamara. Who knows? Coming up next, we do have our number three, sportsgrid.com for our MSG audience. We have to sign off and tune in to see which platform works for you. Since you were a little kid, you've always loved sports. So have we. One of. 